State of Digital Publishing is a publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this second season episode, we speak with John Saroff, Chief Executive Officer of Chartbeat about the state of content intelligence. Chartbeat helps digital publishing organizations understand what within their content is keeping people engaged. Let's begin. Hi, John. How are you? Good, Vahe. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us today. It is, it is my pleasure. It's always a pleasure uh, to talk to folks. Happy, happy, thankful to be invited. Very thankful to be invited. Awesome, John. I guess, you know, with Chappie, you're in the center of a lot of things in publishing and, and obviously you're providing a lot of solutions to publishers. Uh, but just before, we, and we're going to be speaking about content intelligence today which is a bit of a technical term, but I think once everyone understands it, it they'll realize that it's part of the day-to-day of what, we guys, what we're doing as, as professionals. But before we jump into uh-huh. that, I'd love to just, for those who don't know much about you and about Chartbeat, to provide a background. Sure, sure. Where, uh, where would you like me to begin? Yeah, just uh, about what Chartbeat's about and more about you, what you, you're doing into, in your day-to-day role. Sure. So, um, yeah, Chartbeat, we've been around for 10 years. So, you know, we like to think of ourselves as a startup, but I think we're now, um, you know, as a 10-year-old, you've kind of got to go into uh, adolescence as a business, for sure. And we are the leading content analytics and content intelligence company for uh, the world's best publishers. So uh, we have about 700 clients in about 68 countries ranging from folks uh, in New York, like uh, the New York Times, and in Washington, like the Washington Post, in Europe, folks like the BBC and Le Monde, and, and down where you are, you know, the, the Fairfax and the, the News Australia brands. And, um, you know, we provide them with a suite of solutions that range from kind of more traditional analytics to real time, which is kind of what we're known for the most, most which is kind of giving you uh, real time insight into your, into your audience. And then also we, we, you know, have also pushed into optimization. So uh, testing both headlines and soon testing images um, and seeing how users respond to them. Uh, as far as my background, I have spent most of my career in media. Uh, I started my career um, about 15 years ago uh, as a media attorney for a very short amount of time. And then uh, I worked at NBC, which is one of America's largest uh, television broadcasters. Then at Google for many years, working on a series of products aimed at um, television advertising, then a short stint in e-commerce, but then have been at Chartbeat for six years. And, you know, even before that, I was kind of a media nerd. I've, I've um, you know, written a couple of articles for one one article for Cosmopolitan Magazine, another article for Fortune.com. Um, I, uh, you know, I love the media and I love everything uh, about it. So that's uh, that's me. That's awesome. Just for people who don't know about content intelligence, I think that's been something that's been used more in the content marketing or digital marketing space. But what's content intelligence mean? How do you guys present that to publishers? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so I think, you know, when we think about content intelligence, you know, it's a term that, you know, it's, it's a kind of a new phrase. And, and what we mean it to be is kind of the fusion of um, analytics um, you know, which lots of publishers are using real-time metrics, so making decisions in real time, and also testing, right? Testing language, testing words, testing images, testing layouts. And we think that if you combine all three of those things, you can actually become quite intelligent about what your content can do for your brand and your your users. So, you know, it's basically the fusion of 
three distinct things that are actually very, very well suited for uh, the content market. Right? Publishers um, and content creators are just different than CPG companies or manufacturing companies or you know, even more traditional software companies. And uh, you know, we think that fusing analytics, testing, and real time together can make all of the users inside a content organization smarter about what they're doing. What do you think that innovation came from? Do you think it first came from more of the marketing space? Because I mean, initially, um, those three areas that you mentioned were sold as separate products. But where do you think that all started from? And, and how did that come yeah, to form your yeah, yeah, a, solution to? Yeah, shop? it's a great question. Yeah, it's a great question. So I think, I think, you know, they were sold as separate products. But one of the one of the opportunities that we've seen is that generalized products don't work for content creators. So if you think about a product like Google Analytics, Google Analytics is a terrific product that serves, you know, many, many more customers than Chartbeat does, right? Any kind of website can, you know, do well with Google Analytics. Similarly, Optimizely, which is a testing platform, can do, you know, literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of different kinds of businesses can test using Optimizely. But when you get to publishers or content creators, where the content is the product, the use case is actually quite different, right? If you're a, a food delivery company, the product is the food and the content needs to sell the food, right? At our customers, the content is the product. And what we've done very, very well is take kind of generalized tools and make them purpose-built for publishing. And we fuse them rather than fusing them functionally which is how they're done outside of publishing, right? I'm going to buy an analytics platform. I'm going to buy a testing platform. We fuse them vertically and we say, I'm going to buy a content intelligence product. And that's how we approach our customers. That's a very interesting way of putting that. So, and how does AI come into all this? Yeah, so it's a good, really good question. So AI, I think, you know, AI and machine learning are kind of the, the, hot, the hot new things in uh, technology. But I think... You know, I think AI hits publishing in, in a couple of different ways. I think one, you know, a lot of kind of generalized analytics can be improved with machine learning in a couple of ways. I think one, you know, if you've seen something enough times, a machine can get pretty good at predicting, you know, whether or not a story is going to kind of do well on a homepage or, or not. I think one of the interesting things about publishing is, um, that you can't just rely on the machine, right? The machine can take you all the way up into the kind of last moment. But if you gave a machine, you know, the front page of um, an Australian daily, you know, it would always put, you know, Aussie rules or rugby league or cricket or a scantily clad person um, on the top of the front page, right? Because that's what users are clicking on. But one of the things that machine learning and AI can do for publishers is take them just up to the brink and then let the human make the final decision. And I think that's pretty unique. I think that, you know, if you take a look at other businesses that use machine learning and AI, they're very content to kind of let the machine do all the work, right? If you go to Amazon today and you looked at a bunch of duffel bags and you go tomorrow and you see duffel bags, right? No harm, no foul. Media is not like that, right? If you went to the, you know, the Australian to read about Aussie rules today, but tomorrow the prime minister, you know, resigned, which I heard has happened in Australia a few times recently, you know, you would want to go to the Australian to read about the prime minister resigning, right? But it's not necessarily predictive that just because you were reading about the AFL final yesterday that you're going to want to read about 
um, the AFL, you know, season the next day. I think the second place where machine learning can help publishers is, you know, there are so many words created, right? I mean, publishing throws off a tremendous amount of data without even intending to, because there's just so much content. And one of the things that we've been able to do using natural language processing, which is a kind of a division of machine learning, is we've been able to kind of assess how effective certain headlines are for driving not only traffic, but driving engaged traffic to uh, stories. So for example, one study that we ran was that, you know, common sense um, in sports journalism is that if you put the name of the athlete in the headline of the article, you know, you're going to get more engagement on the article. So, you know, if, if Messi scores a hat trick, you know, you're going to get more clicks if you say Messi scores a hat trick than if you say Barcelona beats Real Madrid, you know, five to two. And we did a study to find that's actually not true, right? And that actually users are far more interested in headlines that reveal something about the entire story and not just something about the athlete. And one of the funniest things about that is I, I actually, you know, repeat this study many times for our customers. And in every country, people think that their most famous athlete is uh, the exception, right? So, you know, the messy story is very funny to me because I remember going to Buenos Aires and saying that to an editor. And, you know, I said, you know, athletes, you know, don't actually, athlete names don't overperform stories. And he looked at me and he said, ha, 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 you don't have Messi. And I said, actually, we, we checked Messi and he, not even he, uh, overperformed. And that, that's machine learning, right? That's the kind of stuff that, you know, there's so many words on so many headlines across so many of our customers. No human could have just done that in Excel, but a machine is actually quite good at getting to those conclusions. So what do you think we're up to in, in terms of solutions out there that are probably doing this i mean without i know you're favoring more towards choppy but objectively what do you think we're we're up to in, in terms of content intelligence and ai and, and providing that solution to to publishers yeah i mean listen it's very 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 early days i think that it's also not one of the things about publishing is that it can lag it can lag other uh, verticals because it's not necessarily that big of a market, right? There aren't that many customers out there. So I think it's still really early days. I mean, you know, we do it. I'm trying to think like who are some other folks that I would reference. But I, I actually think that some of the best folks doing this right now are some of the publishers themselves. I actually think that, you know, some of the folks at The Guardian, some of the folks at The New York Times, uh, some of the folks at The Financial Times are leveraging very, very advanced models to, you know, actually The Washington Post as well. Um, are using very, very advanced models to, um, you know, figure out not only things around the propensity to click, but also around the propensity to subscribe. And that's one of the places where we're, we're also moving in the next uh, couple of years. That's, that's good to know. So when you're bringing uh, the concept of content intelligence to new publishing organizations or when they come to you and they're looking for ways to better understand their audiences, particularly in terms of real time or loyalty and, and retention, what's, how do you help them prepare to adopt Chartbeat and, and more about understanding content intelligence and better leveraging the suite of tools in Chartbeat? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think it's something that we are always thinking about, but also is you know, certainly a challenge, right? So there's a few things that we like to do. We have a very, very high touch customer service, and that is you know, a, a challenge certainly when you've got customers in you know, 68 countries, you know, but we like to make sure that there are a few of our key features and products that are 
um, in every uh, newsroom that we work with. Right, one is called the Big Board, which um, anybody who's listening who uh, works in journalism may have seen, which is just a gigantic blue chartbeat board, and that, that kind of shows what's going on in terms of um, uh, you know how the audience is reacting to content in real time. Um, and uh, we believe that if you get that board up. One of the first things that that board does is it creates a conversation and it creates a culture of data. You know, one of the things about this stuff is that a lot of it's cultural, right? A lot of it's changing the culture from, you know, if you're a newspaper, legacy newspaper, being focused around the kind of the deadline to realizing that in the web there, you know, or on mobile, there is no deadline. Or if you're a, a TV network, realizing that, you know, it's not just the seven o'clock news, but it's news that's always happening 24 hours a day. Um, and we find that, you know, installing big, gigantic boards on large television screens is a really, really effective way to kind of start the conversation. Then once that's done, you know, we like to make sure that um, senior folks are using our app, right? Our app can kind of be very similar, right? And people are living on their phones these days, and it's very important. They're engaging with metrics personally. And then inside the newsroom, we actually purpose-build tools for kind of each role in the newsroom. So uh, there's a purpose-built chartbeat tool for social media managers. There's a purpose-built tool for homepage editors. Um, there's a purpose-built tool for kind of, um, you know, uh, desk editors and reporters. And what we try to do is make sure that everybody's got a tool that works for them and that they're kind of having the conversation, right? Chartbeat doesn't work unless folks are actually talking about it and using it. It's a product that was that was made to be used almost more like a consumer product than anything else. And what are some of the common roadblocks or, for lack of a better word, rejections or roadblocks that you guys usually face? I know it's a cultural change, but how do you overcome, how do you and, and potentially publishers, who are people who are internally sort of have that uh, data-driven mindset or data culture mindset can help encourage positive change to adopt content intelligence? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it, it has to be an ongoing conversation between the customer and us, right? I mean, you know, we, um, you know, really believe that uh, you're not just buying a piece of software, you're buying, you know, 70 people in New York City who are uniquely dedicated to helping you grow your audience, right? But the vision of our company is to enable meaningful stories to thrive, yeah. and we anchor that because it's not just about traffic. It's not just about subscriptions. It's not just about clicks. It's very, very much about, you know, no one ever became a journalist because they wanted to be a billionaire, right? There's some billionaires who have bought into journalism because they want to be journalists, but there's no, nobody who went the other way. And they did it because they wanted to be heard and because they want their stories and their point of view to get across. Even if they're covering the news, they chase the story down, they write it, and they want it to be read. And it's very important for us to identify with our users, make them know that we're on their side, and that we don't succeed unless they're getting their stories read and out there. And I think you said in your question, you know, it's more than just culture, but I actually think there's a saying that by Peter Drucker that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And we certainly grow we grow traffic, we grow audience, and we grow subscriptions. There's no question about it because that's why people pay us. But the thing that we do most, I think, is help change cultures. And that's, we're very, very proud of that. And how much of a chartbeat or just in general from what you've seen publishers 
adopt? How much of that is um, leveraging real-time analytics? And how does that real-time analytics sit in the whole sphere of content intelligence? Yeah, it's a good question. So we started in real time and, um, you know, that was our first product. And I, I think for the vast majority of our customers, you can't have a content intelligence strategy unless you're making decisions in real time. You know, the again, the difference between, let's say, a content marketer at a brand and a publisher is that a content marketer at a brand can, you know, if you're marketing beer, right? You know, the, the value proposition for Budweiser doesn't change from Friday to Saturday. So even if you're updating, you know, a couple times a day or, you know, several times a week, you know, real time isn't necessarily as essential. If you're the Australian or uh, the BBC or the ABC or any of our kind of main customers, right, part of your brand is being current and being up to date. And it's very, very hard to be current and up to date if you're not actually getting that real-time feedback. And, you know, sometimes our customers, I think, can be a little bit resistant to that, right? You know, you're coming from a world where editorial decisioning was everything. And what we say is, listen, don't necessarily use the feedback to deny the decisioning, use it to inform the decisioning, right? Rather than having the real-time decisions, you, you've always been making real-time decisions. It's just that they used to be made in a corner office without any information, right? Or with just on gut, right? Now use our product and, you know, to actually inform those decisions in real time, right? There are going to be times when our products are going to be wrong because the people are going to be wrong, right? Like, you know, let's say that the, the Washington Post publishes a very, very important story, um, you know, about, you know, immigration in the United States, and not a lot of people are reading it, right? Um, you know, what Chartbeat tells you is that not a lot of people are reading it, and you know that it's an important story. So you should maybe amplify it on social, maybe check to make sure that the search terms are working, maybe send it out in your email newsletter, because it's impactful, right? The work that, that our friends down there are doing is really, really impactful. And we want to make sure that that story leads its best life. And that's, um, that's a key part of what kind of content intelligence is all about. Definitely. So, John, let's go to the practical side of, of our conversation. I'd really love to know more about sort of benchmarks and if, if, if you could provide any just general statistics around uh, subscriber or user loyalty. If you have, if you have some if, of that information, sure. So, so you know, I think, I think, you know, first let's talk about kind of just general things that we think are important for publishers, and then we can dig specifically into the the subscriber story. So, I think one of the things that is absolutely essential about understanding is a is a, a metric that we've uh, you know developed about eight years ago called engage time, and engage time is really the kind of unlocks a lot of the kind of secrets uh, that kind of lie within Chartbeat. Um, and it's not really a secret, right? I mean, it, from a technical perspective, um, you know, we're very open about what it is. And what it is, is it's a measure of how much time a user spends actively engaged with content on the site or in the app or uh, on a platform. And, uh, you know, that's absolutely essential because what we've seen is that the more a user is actively engaged with content, the more likely they are to return uh, to the brand 
And if they return to the brand, they're more likely to do all sorts of things, um, whether it's subscribe or be loyal or whatever it may be. Um, and that's, that's a very, very, very important and very fundamental thing to start with, right? Which is that um, it's not just about getting traffic. It's about actually, um, uh, you know, getting to folks to not only click, but to stay. Spending time breeds loyalty and loyalty breeds uh, all sorts of things. And then in terms of subscriptions, you know, what, what we've seen is that there's just a large variance in the propensity to subscribe based on the channel that a publisher is coming from. So for example, we've seen that email tends to be just absolutely the most impactful conversion mechanism for publishers, right? You know, I, I will actually, uh, I'll try to pull some of the data up here um, so that I can reference it. But folks who come to uh, your site or your apps via email newsletters are just far more likely to subscribe than via any other channel. We think that's because email actually, there's a tremendous uh, affirmation about whether or not you're actually clicking. Actually, we're looking at, you know, um, if you look at a median of one, right, um, you know, G, uh, email outperforms kind of the average uh, referral base for driving subscribers seven to one. And that's just tremendous. I mean, it's, it's absolutely tremendous. You, you look at things like some of the kind of uh, more generic products, things like Smart News or Flipboard or Pocket or Reddit, right? They're not driving subscriptions, right? If you're using Smart News or, or Flipboard or Pocket or Reddit, right, that's where your loyalty lies. Your loyalty lies with, you know, those platforms. However, if you're, you know, making a selection to click on the Telegraph's email in your inbox, and you're getting to you know, their page or their app from an email, you're far more likely to subscribe. Also, you're far more likely to be loyal, right? Um, even for folks who are advertiser-supported, email can be a very, very effective channel. You know, everything else, it's weird because we think of our email as being very cluttered, but there's still a tremendous positive signal if you choose to uh, click on an email and, and, and visit a site. I mean, it's, uh, it's not to say the obvious, but I guess with recent events, it's really important to continue having that one-to-one -one relationship with your audience. So that naturally makes sense about email, in my opinion. So, Yeah, it makes total sense. Right. Yeah. I think the one-to-one the -one is, is absolutely crucial. And uh, how, do you, how does, uh, I think, sorry, with, with uh, Sharpbeat as well, with the, uh, I guess, with optimization and the other tool suites, how does that tie with helping drive that relationship? I guess you can, you can, like you said, you can see those different channel performances within Chartbeat, and I guess you can just do, go ahead and directly do the headline testing within the platform. Correct. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Well, you know, our optimization right now does not have an ability to segment. Right. So. So you can't segment by, you know, let's say, you know, loyal loyal users see one headline and, and other folks see another. What we found is that most of our customers tell us that they want there to be a consistent kind of brand, right? They want ultimately every um, user to see, you know, especially things that are very highly branded. They want folks to see basically the same stuff. But I do think that we probably will get to a world 
where a certain cohort of publishers, especially ones that have you know massive amounts of stories, right, like portals and, and stuff like that, are far more willing to allow segmented personalization. You know, I could take an example of, you know, maybe a Yahoo or an AOL in the United States where people aren't going to Yahoo or AOL because they have a strong brand affinity for Yahoo or AOL. They're going because, you know, either that's the default for them or that's where they've gone for years. And for folks like them, I could actually see kind of a segmented a segmented um, audience uh, where you could optimize by segment. You know, one place that's already doing that and doing that quite well is MSN, right, which is, is changing their name to Microsoft News and, and kind of the process of changing their name to Microsoft News. Yep. And I think that, you know, they do uh, an excellent job, right? If you actually go to Microsoft News in your country, you'll see, you know, it, it's personalized for Australia for sure. And then there will be a mixture of stories that are personalized for the uh, Australian market and then personalize actually for the user based on their habits. And that's tremendously powerful. I think if you know, you're the Australian and you know, people are coming to you because you're the Australian, I think personalization is a lot harder and you're far more likely to be interested in kind of doing headline testing for the benefit of the entire site. So John, what's the steps publishers and journalists need to take to you know, identify the objectives and then come to the point where they can actually do that segmentation and personalization? Well, I think the most important thing is, you know, making sure, is again, cultural. I think making sure that there's a clear, publishers have been good for a very long time at understanding their journalistic mission. That's never been a problem, right? They tend to understand their journalistic mission. They tend to understand what their point of view is, right? I mean, the Telegraph knows that it's not the Guardian and the Guardian knows that it's not the Telegraph. They know that they're going to cover stories differently. You know, the New York Times knows that it's not the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal knows that it's not the New York Times. I think that um, one thing that is changing is that it used to be that all reach was good. So given your brand and given your point of view, you just tried to get as much reach as possible. And that, I think, kind of distorted some of the product incentives for publishers. And I think what I, what I now think is happening is that publishers are getting much, much better at aligning product, you know, either sales or marketing and edit. And I think, you know, um, both the New York Times and the Washington Post and, and the Wall Street Journal are probably, in the United States at least, doing this the best, which is, you know, by focusing on paid media, they're, uh, you know, meaning subscriptions, they're, you know, willing to sacrifice some traffic in the short term to try to appeal to people who are going to subscribe for the long term. You know, I think on the ad-supported side, I think folks like, you know, CNN and Fox News, even though they couldn't be more different from a political standpoint, you know, they're doing a great job of going out and getting reach. But they, the thing that, they, that each of those cohorts have done is that they've lined up the product teams, they've lined up the edit teams, and they've lined up the leadership teams to make sure that the pursuit is happening um, very, very clearly. And I think that's, that's very, very different than... Uh, you know, when we started where there clearly was a, a, you know, a wall between product, you know, sales and marketing and, and edit. Have you seen firsthand or on a day to day on how that would work or like, cause the reason why I'm asking, and I want to really drill down a bit more into this is because I want our audience to take away some sort of framework or workflow that they can start doing themselves so that they can actually come to that point instead of trying to focus on reach. Because a lot of them will still have that challenge of revenue and all, you know, growing the audience and 
that naturally they're going to be speaking, thinking about reach. Do you have any tips around how people can set themselves up? I know you said you have to align product with editorial mm-hmm. and all that, but that's that's fundamental. Like you said, it's cultural. It's, it's more organizational. But what's on a day-to-day operational? How 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 will they have? How can they do that? Who's the they in your? Who's who's they? I think it's. I mean, I think it it depends on who you're talking about. I mean, I think. You how, know, how, how, um, would, how would someone who'd be like the end user of Chabit, how would like a publisher or a journalist, if they're going to be, if the whole uh, goal might be subscribers or it might be about uh, really growing their segmentation, how, how would they be able to set up the workflow to be able to achieve that? Yeah, it, I mean, listen, it's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, I think the first thing is that I think the most important thing I think for for individual contributors at, at some of our companies is to realize that you know there is great ideas can come from anywhere, right? That's a that's a um, a chart beat saying that we have, right? We say great ideas can come from anywhere, and the reason we say that is because it means that you know no one has a monopoly on good ideas at our company, right? Whether you are um, you know an entry level employee or me. You know, you have a you know great shot of getting your ideas into the product, into the marketing, et cetera. And I think you know, publishers for a long time have been very, very highly hierarchical, um, almost apprenticeship-based organizations. And the ones that we see being successful now are just not like that, right? They're they're just much more willing to experiment, much more willing to test. And that can start anywhere, right? That can start with the CEO saying, we're going to have a culture of testing, or that can start with a small team of photographers and journalists and, you know, cartoonists saying, you know, we're going to do things a little differently. We're going to measure them and we're going to see the results. And I think one of the things about Chartbeat is it, it pushes that ability down to anyone, right? If you are an individual writer, right. And, you know, maybe you want to try, you know, a different, style or a different method of interviewing or a different way of creating your article with Chartbeat and kind of the democratization of data, you no longer have to wait for a pat on the back from your boss to know whether or not you've done a good job. You can see it in the product. And I think, you know, the other thing about it is that, you know, with data, you can take a case to your leadership that things should be different, right? And I think that's one of the things that I think is very, very different about 2019 versus even 1999, which is that anyone can, you know, run their little experiment in their little world and get it to the people who matter, right? I mean, maybe maybe you can't get it all the way up to Rupert Murdoch, um, but you can certainly get it, you know, to your colleagues, to your desks, to your editors, uh, et cetera. Well, I've heard the op- I've heard the opposite, John. Um, News Corp actually have internal innovation challenges and stuff, and it goes to the head office. Uh, I think I think that's been definitely more encouraged internally. Anyway, you think it's been so you think it's been discouraged internally? No, no, it, it's definitely been encouraged because they have like innovation challenges in house. Like I, I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First time. So, yeah, yeah, John, looking ahead, so what do you see the future of content intelligence and particularly the role of AI in that? Well, I think. Listen, I think you know there's still. You know, if you walk into the head office of Walmart or the head office of Amazon or the head office of, uh, you know, a variety of consumer packaged goods or retail companies or or whatever, you're going to see a much more sophisticated tech stack than, you know, what's inside most publishers from a consumer perspective, 
right? Publisher tech has been focused largely on, you know, things like billing, delivery, understanding the stories, et cetera. And I think the, and also supporting the advertiser base. And I think one place where you're going to see a lot of rapid development is in understanding the consumer, right? Understanding actually what makes someone subscribe, what paths they come from, um, understanding what kind of cohorts have what kind of propensity. A lot of the stuff that has been less, you know, has been more thought of as B2C, right? Business to consumer software, I think is going to come to the world of publishers. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually quite eager for that. And I think that, um, uh, you know, Charkey will definitely have something to say about it and a role to play about it. I mean, we're, you know, as I said, making big investments in the kind of, you know, reader revenue side of publishing. And, you know, all of that for us starts with data and starts with machine learning and AI, because that's what, you know, that's what our roots are in. So what are um, some product plans and uh, this year's plans for Charkey? I know you guys have also recently launched Accelerator as well. Is that part of the whole mission of trying to get reader revenue? And, and what's your overall plans for this year and beyond? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. So, so we've got, um, you know, in addition to kind of continuing to serve our clients and making sure that our, you know, core product continues to grow and develop, I think there's three places where you're going to see growth from us in the second half of the year. I think the first one is that we're actually going to try to build some text analysis directly into the product. So, you know, we've been doing work in multiple languages to actually understand kind of uh, content cohorts and, you know, so all your articles about tennis or all your articles about football or all your articles about food, you know, and we think that there, that that's a great place for machine learning and, and AI, which is, you know, to just sort through massive, massive amounts of data and give a model a chance to learn, you know, what a different story is about. And actually once that's out there, you know, you can segment that and use it, you know, all sorts of ways. And then I think, you know, we're also going to build image testing into our optimization product. So you'll be able to um, test images uh, directly inside of Chartbeat. We're very excited about that. We think that, you know, photography and, and imagery is something that is poorly understood by the internet because it's a lot harder to make sense of, you know, the differences in an image than it is in the differences in words. So we're really looking forward to that. And then finally, yes, we've launched this, you know, subscription accelerator and, you know, we've partnered with four of our clients to, um, you know, understand, you know, what kinds of needs publishers have in the subscription world. And I think what we're focusing on there is how different cohorts of different kinds of publishers have different, uh, of different kinds of users have different propensities to subscribe. Because I think that's, that's a big, big open place for us. And we're, we're, um, we're looking forward to getting involved there. Any, any reason why you guys didn't focus on video testing as opposed to image testing? As a priority? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, testing is actually really hard. Image testing is hard because you actually be surprised, like the different browser shapes, uh, the different screen sizes and browsers lead to all sorts of complications. But it's still actually relatively simple compared to video because one of the problems with video is that the, the publishers themselves don't own the players. Right, so so we actually have a video product right now, kind of a real time video, uh, real time video um, analytics product, and you know one of the challenges about it is that it's uh, adapted for seventeen different uh, third party players, and every time you know Brightcove or Uyala or any of the other folks that we're integrated with change uh, their um, player, we got to change as well. 
Um, and, uh, you know, so what we try to do is focus on the places where we can, you know, make the biggest impact. And one of the nice things about doing images is that the web is the web. Um, and there are basically only two mobile operating systems, iOS and Android. And if we build once, you know, we can serve like almost all of our customers at once. And that's really, really uh, important to us. We want to be able to build tools that get, you know, around the world with just one push of code. And with that, John, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing Podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.